It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger in a crowded room. It's a dream that you to be real. Uh, are we ready <laughs> let's just go go there you want to go there <laughs> yeah to the shores to the shores welcome everyone welcome <laughs> i don't know where we're going yep this evening but i'm positive we'll get there we'll get there yeah totally <laughs> i've been thinking a lot about <clears throat> the analogy of the shores of ignorance and how mm. sometimes I feel bad that we don't like prepare a show, like prepare a set of topics. I mean, sometimes mm. we'll have something we want to talk about, but then I remembered that that's the whole point of this show mm. is we're going to the shores of ignorance. We're yeah. going to where we're ignorant and finding beauty in that space. Mm. It doesn't really matter whether or not we have something prepared. Yeah. Well, I think that's something I enjoy about our conversation in general is kind of taking the the deep dive into something unknown and you're kind of working through it and piecing through it. And I think some of the comments we've kind of gotten is like, what are you guys saying? <laughs> and a lot of it is we're, we're figuring that out as we go. And I think that's the important part of our conversation is right. that, you know, we're working these things out. And, and also when we listen to all the experts and stuff that we listen to, it's mm -hmm. like we want to understand and, and discuss like what we're hearing and, does that sound right to you? And right. you know, kind of go back and forth. So, What was it? Uh, I think it was a Jordan Peterson quote where he said, truth is the handmaiden of love and discourse is the way to truth. Mm. Conversation, discourse, that's how we discover what's true. <clears throat> and that's in service of love. Yeah. It was really beautiful the way he said it. I'll have to, maybe I'll look it up. I wonder why it's in service to love. Like it seems, it seems kind of um, like, I feel like I get it. Like when you say that, but at the same time, well, I, I guess in discourse, you're trying to make a connection, a relational connection to different aspects. And like when two people fall in love, it's kind of maybe the epitome of making, of making that connection of discourse. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, that's kind of where I would, that's kind of where I would go with it. <laughs> I was trying to find the quote, but I can't find it. It's yeah. close enough. I think it's in service of love because <clears throat> something, a point we've been hitting on or we seem to keep coming back to is, mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know, what is truth? Hmm. If you think of truth as a set of facts, well, you know, those facts could be true, but it isn't until they're employed in a story mm -hmm. that they're meaningful. Things can be true, but arbitrary. Yeah. And that's why it's in service of love, hmm. because truth is what points to love. And things that are true that don't point to love need to find a different part in the story. Yeah. If you're just simply dis engaging in discourse to discover true facts, it's a bit like a little kid's rock collection. Mm -hmm. It's all arbitrary and doesn't mean very much. And years later, their parents are going <clears> to, <throat> this is a real life story. Years <laughs> later, their parents are going <laughs> to hand that kid a big bucket of rocks and it's just rocks, you know? Mm -hmm. 
yeah, they're rocks. Mm -hmm. That's true. But it doesn't really mean much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you, each one of those rocks had something that represents something in your life. Like, oh, I got this from the beach of Ohinaga or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from the mountains of uh, Zurich or something like that. Right. Well, and if that's important and meaningful, mm -hmm. then you would somehow have that story attached to those mm -hmm. items through some kind of curated exhibit, yeah. you know, or, or you do something with them, you mount them to tell the story or you <clears throat> arrange them in such a way that there's some hint at meaning. Yeah. But do you ever find yourself, so for the most part, I kind of find myself in, like I have a sort of framework I work in and then ever so often something will kind of pop me out of that framework and you kind of feel outside of of that sort of uh, the reality you thought you were living in. So like, you know, for example, like I have a sort of business reality that I live in and, and then whenever I come home, I'm like, Oh wait, I also have this family reality that mm -hmm. I live in. And you start sort of stacking these on top of each <coughs> other and they seem to kind of <coughs> prioritize themselves or even f or fill up, fill in the other ones, you know, like, I, like when I whenever it comes down to brass tacks, you know my family is more important than the business. You know, uh, they're the, who I'm going to be with forever, and you know my business may come and go, but <coughs> but my family is someone that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Yeah, and you know I also find that too. Like sometimes I'll be walking home and I'll be thinking about something and really stumped and just you know racking my brain about something, and then sort of like a breeze or a bird or something like mm -hmm. kind of pop you out and you're like, oh, yeah, I just need to kind of appreciate the the little things in life and not, you know, it, it just kind of those, those types of things kind of, you know, it just makes me think I don't really see things as they are. Mm -hmm. And however, there's a certain, as you, as you go through the years and mature, there's sort of a, a framework that you that you build that kind of gets bigger, bigger and bigger. Hopefully, you know, but I always feel kind of like it's still not enough. <laughs> I mean, that's a very common experience. I think mm -hmm. that if you're trying to <clears throat> solve a problem, mm -hmm. you're giving it your focused attention, and attention has the power to transform things. But also, the the aspect of attention that allows it to transform things via problem solving, for example, mm -hmm. is that it's focused. It's, it's limited. It doesn't see everything. <clears throat> like, as you said, it doesn't see things as they are. Mm. It sees the part of them that it's attending to. Mm. And so you're working on a problem and you're stumped. You go outside and you take a walk and your mind starts focusing on other things, the birds, the breeze, as you said. <clears throat> and suddenly some part of your brain goes, oh, there. There's the solution to the problem I was working on. It seems like that's how most discoveries are made. You know, yeah, you always you always right. hear that story of of you know uh, sitting in the bathtub and then oh displacement of water right oh that's how we can find the what is it the weight of gold or the uh, I forget what the <laughs> specific I don't know that what was. that is uh, uh, yeah I think that's something that yeah, to try to bring back in the word you started with, framework. Mm -hmm. Our frameworks aren't complete for the tasks that we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. 
if the frameworks were complete, then there wouldn't be really anything to work on to, to accomplish. And so we're constantly <clears throat> out um, – well, we're constantly beyond our own ability, at least when, we're, when the work is good. Mm-hmm. You're, you're working on something that's beyond your understanding and you're learning you're, and you don't know what part of the framework is insufficient. Hmm. And so you do need that, as you said, pop out hmm. so that you can see things from a different perspective and figure out what part of your framework is insufficient. As you were saying, that made me think of, of tell me if this is the extremes of this that on one side you're continually trying to break the framework and it's almost like, you know, when you hear someone say that they, they sabotage themselves, sort of something's working well, sort of some framework is working well. And so you kind of sabotage yourself because you don't feel worthy or, Hmm. uh, you know, could be angry at the world and anything that works well, you just, you don't, it, it just reminds you of, of good things. And then on the other side of, where you have a framework that you stick to no matter what and you get kind of stuck, you know, kind of stuck in your ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, would you say those are like the, maybe the two bookends of that sort of that middle, the middle way of, of being able to function in a way that your frameworks are being uh, deconstructed and also you're also constructing new frameworks. Like it seems like there's a process there between mm-hmm. those two worlds, but then you can also spiral into maybe uh, the perversions or extremes of those. Do you say that maybe is, is uh, extremes of that? I mean, it seems like a very archetypally true thing. Mm-hmm. You need <clears throat> the frameworks that you <clears throat> aren't supposed to touch because mm-hmm. you need that stability. I mean, that's the island. Mm. And then you need the frameworks that are incomplete, and that's the shore, mm-hmm. so that you can encounter what you don't know, which is the sea, the ignorance. Yeah. And so you've got to protect the island, otherwise you don't have anywhere to live. Mm-hmm. But you also have to tend to the shores and spend time there, otherwise you don't ever learn. Mm. What did you say? You said something about self-sabotage? Yeah, I kind of uh, I was talking with Austin about this a little bit, my son, and 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 we were just talking about how you know sometimes like he feels like he just wants he almost kind of feels like he self sabotages himself, like mm-hmm. he's doing really well, and then something in him just makes just shuts down, and he, it just feels like I could keep doing this, but I'm not going to, and therefore. I'm, it always puts it almost puts it as if he is the one doing it, but it's almost as if it's being done to him. Hmm. It's really awesome that he can see that and articulate mm. it. Oh, they had to read a uh, uh, crime and punishment hmm. and he made this freaking, I was just like, he was having a tough time this week. And, uh, uh, oh, I forgot the character's name, but he noticed in the book that, a lot of these other characters that did these crimes and stuff like that, they didn't ask for help or are being willing to accept help. But this one character was willing to accept help, mm. even though he kept pushing away. It's like he was only, he was one, and actually he made it through. And I was just, I was just, I was just thinking that, that my, their school are reading such great literature in mm. that way, because something in that story made him, 
say, hey, dad, I need help. That's awesome. And then he was able to articulate it better than I can right now on a mm. podcast. I'm 45 years old. Yeah. You know, and, he, and I was just like, wow, dude, that's like really profound. Mm. You know, <laughs> like uh, it was such a great, we had such a great conversation after that. We started talking about libertarianism and <laughs> conservatism, liberalism and, and how people are like, that's one observation he made is like, he's like, it's really hard to talk with people. Like, it's, I mean, it was kind of great because he's like, I like talking to you, dad, because like, like you, you are, you have a, you don't judge quickly, you know, or how, I forgot how he said it, but he's like, it's like whenever I have these conversations with other people, it's like they, they're so, they're, they're so strict in the, what they think that they're not willing to entertain other mm, ideas. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting for him as a 16 year old seeing that. I mean, I guess really young people are supposed it. to do that, but yeah. still to notice it. So many people, I think when you talk to them, as they're listening, they're planning what they're going to say next. Mm. And that's not really a real conversation. Yeah. I think it's something, it's, a, it's actually a skill to listen, mm. to silence yourself and actually listen and consider what the other person is saying. Yeah. And I think that's something that you you are inherently good at, hmm. in part because you're just deeply curious. <clears throat> but it's so cool that your son noticed that and hmm. could say, "Yeah, I notice other people don't. They 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 just want to say what they have to say. Hmm. They don't want to entertain anything new. And when I talk to you, Dad, I can hmm. play because." You're actually interested in what I have to say and what I think. Yeah, it's like what a what a blessing. I think like I had that with my dad, mm. but I think a lot of people don't with their parents, especially with parents. Because now that I'm a parent, one thing that I struggle with all the time is like I don't know how to talk to my kids, mm. and I'm anxious about that and self conscious about it all the time. Because I'm simultaneously supposed to raise them and protect them, but also teach them. Mm. But I also want to know them. Yeah. And trying to figure out how to traverse that complicated landscape, even just in, you know, a 15-minute car ride to school is really difficult. So mm. I think a lot of parents just sort of opt out. And they say, I'm going to make sure you do what I think you should do and... Beyond that, I don't really know how to deal with you. Hmm. I don't know how to get to know you. Which makes sense. I mean, just on a parenting side is that, you know, almost every parent feels like a failure of some sort, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know a parent that's like, man, I'm totally kicking ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> if so. I'm an awesome parent. Yeah, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me meet them for sure. Uh, it's funny. I can't really imagine anyone saying that. Yeah. And there's surely some narcissistic and arrogant people that you've mm -hmm. run into in your life. But even those kinds of people, I can't imagine saying, oh, yeah, I'm an awesome parent. Yeah. I wonder what it is that makes us sober about that. It is, it is something about kids reflect the best and the worst of you. You know, I mm -hmm. think that's something that that seems to be kind of true. <laughs> well, and I feel like... Yes, and kids see you mm -hmm. deeply, <laughs> a lot more deeply than most of the other people in your life. And so mm -hmm. if you were to say to one of your kids, I'm a really great dad, they'd probably <laughs> just laugh at you. Like, 
<laughs> so obviously not true, uh-huh. even though it is true. It's yeah. like it's true, but it's mm-hmm. not true. And that's true of everyone. Yeah. Hmm. So <clears throat> it's interesting to me that there's sort of – I've been thinking about death and how weird it is that death is inevitable. And yet when someone in your life dies, you feel bewildered. How can you know something is going to happen and then feel bewildered when it happens? And a sort of similar truth is like if there's, you know, two constants in the species, it's death and birth. Mm -hmm. Taxes. (laughs) Death and taxes. Well, death and birth. Yeah. You know, people are going to be born. Mm -hmm. Most people are going to be parents. And yet we don't know how to deal with death and we don't know how to deal with parenting. Mm -hmm. It seems like we don't get better at those things, Hmm. which is odd because we've been evolving for what, 500 million years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's no, like, there's no manual for how to be a parent. Yeah. And there's no manual for how to deal with the grief of the loss of a loved one despite the fact that you knew with 100% certainty that it was going to happen. There's no way to prepare for it. That's strange to me. And maybe it has something to do with the relational aspect of life. Every child is different. Mm -hmm. Every parent is different. Every death is different. What can you extract out of those that's helpful as the generations move on, Mm -hmm. maybe those are two of the most meaningful things in our lives that will ever happen. How do you condense that into some sort of like shorthand knowledge that you can sort of say, well, this is how we deal with death and this is how we deal with parenting. It's like always going to be wrong. Mm -hmm. It does seem like we, we have, you know, it's, it's, there's aspects of this that are embedded in our culture, you know, uh, uh, Muslims deal with death in a certain way, mm-hmm. Jews in a way, Christians do, Hindus. You right. know, it's like there's all these sort of ceremonies around death. And I would say prior to the modern age, was, you know, death was maybe a little bit more incorporated into a life than it is today. Mm. Um, do you think that our modern culture tries to hide itself from death or hide death from relevancy in some sense. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of the book, The Giver, is that at some point the elderly sort of get moved out (laughs) of the culture. And so no one really has dealt with death actually, Mm -hmm. because by the time somebody kind of starts moving into that territory, whatever that means, closer to death, it's like they're no longer part of the, the regular community. And I, th- I think a, a part of that is, at least in the West, you know, I think that has, that's kind of how our culture sort of functions is, you know, they're no longer useful. And so we kind of push them to the side. Like to a nursing home or to something. To a nursing home, like out of 
out of mind, out of sight kind of thing. And again, I think I'm speaking a little bit too extreme, but there, it does seem like we do have a tendency to do that and celebrate youth and not celebrate our elders as much as we do our youth. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's because we have like 80 year olds leading the nation that shouldn't be leading the nation. <laughs> That's yeah. a whole other topic. <laughs> well, I don't really want the young Instagram influencers no. leading the nation either. Yeah, that's mm. true. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, I mean, up to your dad passing, how did you, did you think about death or, or was death a part of your, not with him specifically, but mm -hmm. was that something that? No, I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, I thought about the inevitability of it, mm -hmm. and I was aware that I my parents were going to die, mm -hmm. and I was afraid of that, afraid of that loss for a long time. But I don't really un understand the question. Maybe it's like, do do you did you think about <clears throat> death? What does that mean? Well. Okay, well, I just came across this. This uh, I was reading about Stoicism, and there's a sort of idea. I forgot which which Stoic talks about this. It could have been Zeno or what's the same, Crates or something like that. Um, but something that gives you a better framework is sometimes thinking of the what's the worst thing you could think that could happen, mm -hmm. and and you're always you always kind of prepare yourself because you've already thought about the worst thing that could happen, mm -hmm. and you know if if you lost everything today, like what would you do? Like how would that impact you? And you kind of walk through that, those scenarios in your head as far as, um, and it's not that you can, that you, that you can match what that scenario is perfectly, but there's something about how we can project into the future and see ourselves and how we would handle that or guess how we would handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's something that always goes through my head as far as like, if this happened, like how would I react or why would I react that way? Or what's, uh, you know, why is that important? Or, you know, whatever it might be like business is one way I think of that is this, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? I lose everything. Okay. So I move into an apartment. You know, like, like you, know, you imagine how <laughs> life would go on after that. Yeah. And, and I mean, I have no idea. I've, I've got certain things that I think about in this area, but I don't think it's necessarily, I don't know if it's, if it's good or healthy. <laughs> so so but I, I do think about that as like, you know, if, you know, if my mom passed today, like what would that look like? And, mm -hmm. and what would I be thankful for? Or, you know, you know, what, what do I need to do today? I don't think I asked that one as much. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. I think it's important mm -hmm. to that death be a well an understood and looked at part of life because mm -hmm. death is a part of life. And we do seem to want to get rid of death. Either whether it's Ray Kurzweil trying to <clears throat> get us to artificial intelligence so that he can live forever, upload mm. his consciousness into the cloud and, you know, re-meet his dad or something like that. Mm -hmm. Or for some reason I think about like 
the vegan movement is like totally against the death of animals. Mm. Like we have some idea that it would be possible to prevent death, whether by choice or technology. Mm -hmm. But it's inevitable mm. for every creature and for every individual. Like we need to have a relationship with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it definitely seems unhealthy to try to pretend like that can be controlled because it can't. Yeah. Well, I think there's also a difference between, you know, just on a death topic still like that when something happens suddenly or like out of time, you know, it's like, like your kid dies or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, like that's, you have this vision of them being you passing away before they do. Right. As well as them having a long life of some years, you know, uh, or your parent seemed healthy and then they're not. Yeah. And so there's just, there's a little bit of like a, a joltingness because of the suddenness of it outside of you see your parent or somebody <laughs> pass away slowly. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's more of like, you're able to sort of to like experientially go there and it's like more gentle maybe, you know? Yeah. I had a <clears throat> really close friend die when we were 20, I think 20 years old. I had known him since I was like seven mm. and uh, he died of a pulmonary embolism, I think. One, one night we were all just hanging out and he just was bouncing around kind of like a hyper college kid and he passed out and fell down mm. and we went to the hospital and he passed away. And it does, it definitely feels like when a young person dies, there's something extremely unfair that's occurred. Like something's been stolen from you. Yeah. It's hard to understand because young people aren't supposed to die. They're supposed to live, right? Yeah. But then again, when my last grandmother died, the last of my four grandparents, she was 94 years old mm -hmm. <clears throat> and was at the, the end of a long struggle with dementia and whatever else comes along with that. And even still, when she died, it felt like something had been taken from me. Hmm. I don't know that you ever don't feel that way. I mean, maybe it's more pronounced when the loss is of a younger person, but death seems to, you tend to feel like something's been stolen. Maybe with my grandmother, it was, partly like the last of that generation in my life. I felt a hole there, mm -hmm. some place that she occupied, the last holdout of that generation in my family lineage. Yeah, it's hard. I, 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 I'm trying not to be like insensitive in this area because, because I do agree with you and and yet something that bothers me a little bit, you know, as far as like we're part of like, you know, that's, I think it's why I like, uh, like epic stories where it's just, it's, it could even deal with generations or, you know, over long periods of time, you see a story develop. 
Uh, or you, know, you take the Bible, for example, you know, you see, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're passing away, but you see this lineage moving into the future too. And they don't, they don't get to experience that. And, mm-hmm. and yet they're also a part of that, you know, lineage moving into the future. Um, and maybe it's something that I think, I think Judaism does this really well about sort of honoring their fathers, you know, as, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, every uh, Passover, you know, the the honoring the exodus from Egypt, and there's a lot of remembering, and it talks about how they took Joseph's bones from Exodus and and brought it into the into the promised land, and and there's something about remembering your forefathers, and like it's almost like there's also a part of like that that will be me one day. Like I will be hmm. the one who passes and, you know, what am I going to leave my children and what's going to go with them into the future? Do you think once you've passed, do you think about how your descendants will remember you? I, I'd be curious. I mean, I, I think I would love to make at least enough of a splash that they remember me for a couple of generations. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like I, it's like I would love for you know if I never got to meet my grandkids or something, it's like I would love for my kids to be able to t- tell them about me, you know, mm-hmm. um, or my grandkids get to tell their kids about me if yeah. I'm not there, you know. Right. So there is something, in, well, maybe it's selfish, or or um, or maybe I think it's important that we do honor our our parents and our forefathers and mothers that came before us. So on my dad's side of the family, the the story of our forefathers mm-hmm. ends with my grandfather's father. Okay. So that's three generations back. Mm-hmm. It's not very far. No. And it ends because I, that man was apparently a, an alcoholic really badly. And mm-hmm. my grandfather left home at something like 10 or 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And never, to my understanding, had much of a relationship with him after that. And, mm-hmm. But on my mother's side, the stories go back a lot farther. I think it's like my great, great, great grandfather, three mm-hmm. or four greats, was in the, was a part of the Oklahoma land rush. Mm-hmm. And he and his wife, you know, were, got into a, covered wagon, canvas covered wagon and rode out west Mm -hmm. and basically picked out some land and he built a house. When he died, the obituary read, his name was Zedekiah True. That's just a badass name. (laughs) Yeah. And the obituary read, Zedekiah was the kind of man whom you could send into the woods with nothing but an axe and he would have a homestead established within two months or something like that. That's awesome. That's pretty badass. Well, so this might be anecdotal, but that's 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 interesting juxtaposition between an alcoholic father whose son leaves to get away from that mm-hmm. versus someone who was useful with their hands and built something. Mm. Built a place for the stories to be passed down into mm-hmm. or for the people to be safe in mm-hmm. such that the stories could be told. Yeah. This is really interesting. 
it'd be kind of cool to to pick that apart a little bit more as far as if that's true or anecdotal. I, I don't know. I mean, because I mean, there are, are atrocities that I remember, <laughs> you know, throughout the throughout the years. I, I would think maybe you know. What do you mean atrocities? Well, like you know, well, I, my whole family history is just one atrocity after another. Mm. You know, yeah. Um, but I think most people tend to want to forget those stories, and you know. Maybe it's like the Indian princess, like everyone's got an Indian princess in their, uh, <laughs> in their lineage somewhere. And have you ever heard that? No. Oh, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> oh, I don't know. There, there's I, growing up, there's always this joke that everyone sort of like, everyone was kind of like an eighth, uh, native American and, oh, and has a, you know, Indian princess. In their What's funny is somewhere. when you said Indian princess, I was thinking of India. India. Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is people's infatuation with that? Why does everyone want to have a Native American in their ancestry? Because that is true. Mm -hmm. Like famously, my grandmother said that she was like half Indian or something. Mm -hmm. I think that turned out not to be true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe there was, it could be multiple things. I mean, today it's maybe a little bit different explanation, but there may be the exoticness of it, you know? And right. I mean, at some points it was, you know, if you were, uh, had uh, uh, African American in you, or or Native American, that was not looked on as mm -hmm. you would you would hide something like that, you know. Um, Is that now it's more we, we it's inverted, mm -hmm. and we we accept we accept that you know people wanted to opt people want to opt into those categories. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that's true now, but yeah. my grandmother said that she had Native American. I think specifically Comanche. Mm -hmm. um, but that was in a time during where she grew up during the Jim Crow era, mm -hmm. you know, so people weren't trying to necessarily opt yeah. into uh, minority categories then. Huh. Yeah, I guess she had a, like a, a positive, like she didn't have that negative association, I guess, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Why are we talking about this? Oh, generations and oh. being remembered and, and, yeah. and how does that happen? And I was just thinking like, is it anecdotal that whenever someone builds something that's worth remembering, I mean, you do see this with rich people. They, they put their names on buildings, you know, that, that may be a little bit forced, you know, and then there's other memory mm -hmm. memorials where people make the memorial of the person. And there's other memorials where the person makes the memorial of themselves, mm. um, <clears throat> which I find Super interesting. And also all the people that passed away that were phenomenal people that we just will never know. Yeah. What do you want to leave behind? Hmm. Well, we got 160 episodes of <laughs> Shores of Ignorance. That's true. So, so actually, I'm, I'm really excited about that part. Like our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, hopefully, I mean, mm -hmm. this will... Like they can always go back and hear what ridiculousness their their grandfathers were talking about. True, <laughs> you know. It's well, like, let's just take the moment then to say hello to our great grandchildren. <laughs> there you go. Hey, great grandkids. Great great grandkids. <laughs> that would be fun to hear that. Like I, you know, I'd say like, I don't think my kids listen. I think they probably listen to a couple episodes or something. You know, and, and maybe one day they will. Maybe they won't. Maybe, yeah. Because I think like my sister was more the one to dig back into our ancestry. I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I have not found that bug to, to do that. So, right. um, so I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. 
I might come back to that a little bit, but I mean, I want to build things and I don't, it's, to me, it's not so much about leaving. I, I'm just curious in general. So I think that's the only reason why I would be disappointed in dying is that I couldn't discover more things, <laughs> you know? Like for me, like heaven is, is, is this place where you still get to discover things. I was about to ask you, is the idea, so some people hope that after they die, they can understand everything. Hmm. Like all the things that make no sense, you know, like mm -hmm. <laughs> for instance, what actually happened with the assassination of JFK, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, or did Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> actually suicide himself? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not to mention just all the things relationally, like family mm. histories tend to be so fraught with, mm. you don't really know what happened. Yeah. You know, what, what happened with this cousin? What happened with this aunt, this uncle? Mm -hmm. What happened? I don't really know. Or the story Kathy told. knew, but yeah. she died. And uh -huh. now, now she, you know, that went mm -hmm. with her. And, you know, so this idea that at some point we could know mm -hmm. is really infatuating to some people. Mm. But for you, I imagine you being incredibly bored by the idea of knowing oh, everything. Yeah. Because you love the process mm -hmm. of discovery. Yeah. That's like, that's your meth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My meth. Yeah. You're, well, I, so I have no idea what heaven's like or, or obviously, but like, or what that means when we die. I tend to believe something carries on and through what that looks like. I don't know, but my inkling is that there's still more discovery. Yeah. It's just different. But I also believe that we will never be able to discover the things as we do in the present moment. I imagine it as something like everything is what it could be. In its final product or uh, in, in its becoming? In its becoming. Okay, gotcha. So it's like, who could you be? Who mm -hmm. could I be? Mm -hmm. I think about heaven as I will be who I am. Hmm. And there's no more question about who could I be. Mm -hmm. I can now simply observe who I am. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that there is no more discovery. Mm -hmm. Because how does who I fully am interact with who you fully are? Mm -hmm. And how do, how do we interact with who our loved ones fully are. You know, th there seems like there's an endless number of things to do once we are fully who we could be. Even, even that I have a little bit of a problem with because when you say like who I, it's, uh, again, I'm, we're totally just way out here on the, on the, <laughs> on the, like the, but I love thinking about the idea of heaven because I think whenever you think of heaven and what that could look like, it helps you better to f see your present situation better. So I feel like that, that part I think is helpful. So this is sort of like extrapolation into like, what is heaven? I think is actually helpful and useful. Um, Cause I even have this idea of like with, with heaven is sort of, it's still, a, a, it's still a place of becoming like, you don't know who you are, but you are, you're, you're, you're truly becoming hmm. that person. It's like, you're always becoming, but you're without, maybe some of the, without some of the restraints of, of that. Hmm. For example, I think the elves are sort of that symbol of 
of heavenly beings. In, in are, the, are we talking Tolkien, Will Ferrell, or Keebler, <laughs> or Lord of the Rings, the Santa Claus elves? Yeah, <laughs> uh, like like Tolkien, or uh, more of the the fantasy genre yeah. of elves is. And this is this would be like my dream, honestly. Like you have these elves that live thousands and thousands of years, and so they can spend a couple of years on woodworking, right? Building a sword. This sword took me 150 years. It's like they don't. It's not the same concept of time, and and it's sort of like as you're working on things, you're also working on yourself too. Hmm. Oh, I love that. I've always th- as you're working on things, hmm. you're also working on yourself. Yeah. I like that too. I said that. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers to the choice. <laughs> I mean, that's so true. When you're working on something, whether it's mechanical or your marriage, your relational, your yeah. yeah, your mm-hmm. friendships, you are discovering yourself. You are working on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's almost like what we were talking about at the beginning, like sort of popping out of your framework and your perspective. Mm. If you're, you might be working on something really specific, trying to solve a problem, and then you go on a walk mm. and you're not stumped anymore. You figure it out because your mind's engaged on something else. So when you're working on something external, mm. there's some portion of your mental capacity, which is also seeing the way that you respond to it and seeing the way that you struggle with it and fight with it. You're judging yourself. You're celebrating yourself sometimes too. And there's a portion of your brain that's working on all those problems that you don't want to look at. Mm. It's working on your marriage. It's working on your relationship with your mom or your dad, Mm -hmm. your coworker that you always get into bristled conversations (laughs) with, you know, whatever it may be. Mm When you work on things, you're working on yourself. Yeah. I always love there's always sort of these metaphors of you see this in fantasy novels and um, other areas as far as the the wise uh, blacksmith. You know, there's something about he's pounding on hammer. Yeah, he's pounding on 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 metal and making something and folding it and and there's always this sort of wise like in this one fantasy novel. Um, Aragon and it's in the inheritance cycle. Like he has to build his own sword and there's something about him building his own sword. It actually, he and like the sword and and himself become one. Mm -hmm. Like it, like there's almost like it's in a sense, magic is built into it, but it's it's the same thing you were talking about. I think this last week or the week before is, is whenever you build something or the rocks, you know, Oh, Mm -hmm. that rock Mm -hmm. is from, you know, Hawaii and it has meaning to it. So yeah, it's like you start to feel part or one with something that you that you build, and it, and it just kind of reveals things about yourself mm-hmm. as far as the struggle. Or I mean, I can't think of all all, all the times when I work on something and just thoughts start popping into my head about other stuff that you kind of have to to deal with as far as like like you're working on something. You're like, ah, oh, shit. I was such a dick to my kids on that one. Or, or mm-hmm. I should have said that to my wife. Or yeah. I, you know, it's like something will just pop into your head that yeah. you're just like, ah. Well, it's like that common, this is sort of a common meme, I think. You know, people talk about how like you're just you're just trying to take a shower and then all of a sudden you remember that horribly embarrassing thing that you said when you were in third grade. Mm-hmm. You know, 
it's like you open up the bandwidth for all the things that you consciously keep out mm. when you engage in something different. Yeah. And that's a, I love that. I think mm -hmm. it's a great thing. Although when, I, <laughs> go ahead. I hate it. Cause like sometimes I'll be walking and I, I feel like I have Tourette's syndrome. I'll be like walking or, oh shit. <laughs> and I like look around like, okay, nobody saw that. You know, cause something will come to my head. I'll be like, oh shit. <laughs> Didn't deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about when you make something, you know yourself, hmm. it's a really interesting statement. And it made me think about not, not so much anymore, but for most of my 20s and 30s, I always did all of the mechanical work on my cars. Mm. And there's a very unique feeling mm. that you get when you fix a car and then go drive it. Mm -hmm. Like I remember one time I had this old Suburban, this old piece of shit that <laughs> – I was really low on cash and I had like $3,000 cash and I bought this Suburban and it turns out that they advertised it had like 150,000 miles. I think it had something like 350,000 miles and it was just, it was a, I had my first car ever was this truck, this like 1985 Ford F-150 that ended up getting the nickname the hunk of junk. <laughs> this Suburban was the Chevy version of the hunk of junk and um, I... I worked on it a lot and there was one time I, I worked on it and I don't remember what I had done, but it was some pretty extensive work on the engine and then I got it running and then I took my family and drove them out to Enchanted Rock. And I remember as I was driving, having this feeling of, I know myself hmm. and I trust and I know exactly what's going on in the Suburban. Mm -hmm. I know what the risks are. I know what might fail. I know what's not going to fail because I was in there. And not only do I know this, this car, I have a confidence about myself that mm -hmm. I, there's a uniqueness to that kind of confidence after you've worked on something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, sorry, I'm going to kind of spin it real quick, but yeah. uh, uh, what did, what do you, what do you kind of want to leave behind? What's your legacy or what, mm. would, what do you want to be remembered for or by or um it's so hard because i wonder if you felt this way when i asked you that but there's something immediately in me that's like oh i don't want to be vain or arrogant mm -hmm. and say essentially like i want to be valued i want to make things that are mm. valued but it's also, isn't that universal? Mm -hmm. Don't we all want to make things that are valued? I think I want to leave behind the mark of truth on the hearts of those who I'm in relationship with. Hmm. I want to leave behind what I have learned by living my own story. Mm. Maybe that's in the form of the songs that I write. Maybe that's in the form of a book. Maybe that's just this podcast. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I love the truth. Mm -hmm. 
and I love the pursuit of it. Mm-hmm. I want to leave that behind. I want to share my love of that with people. Yeah, I like that. Well, I, I think that's the that's fun thing. I think you and I are participating in right now is that dialogue. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's many people out there. We're all we're all kind of working on like what is what's going on around us. And I think that's something that you and I are always looking for those tr- sort of truth sayers or prophets or prophetesses that are looking into the future and looking into human kind or our situation and assessing like what what is this let me put words to this let me kind of suss out the 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 morrow of like what 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 we're kind of living in and i think that's i think that's something that we both both really value and i always think of you as for so as far as like the person with the uh the uh, the Gandalf with the staff and like you shall not pass <laughs> like like do not let falsehood in here <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, obviously I have a lot of Tolkien references yeah <laughs> can I get a yeah. little top off here I tried to put it in the middle but I no oh, I couldn't successful. see it <laughs> no I had it more on my side yeah you did. <laughs> But also, I think that's the great thing about story is that it kind of helps us that's good. look into the future because we we read these stories like a Tolkien and we see all these different ca- characters and like like how are they reacting? What are they doing? How are they how are they moving into the future? We've got a Frodo who's going into certain death for a certain you know a certain. Uh, a certain way of looking at it like he doesn't know he's coming back and, and I don't know any I don't know very I don't know very few people that want to be the the wormwood you know who is is sp- speaking you know absurdities into the king's ear mm-hmm. I mean I, even if you are that character in real life, nobody watches that character is like oh I want to be that guy right yeah <laughs> everybody wants to be the hero uh-huh yeah. And yet the hero is always the one who goes into the unknown at the risk of his own life mm-hmm. and comes back a different person. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is what is that <clears throat> that saying what you want most exists where you least desire mm-hmm. to look. Mm-hmm. We don't want to go we don't want to resolve ourselves to death and go on that journey, even though we are already on that journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we are resolved to die. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. We are on the hero's journey, each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. Whether or not we choose to recognize that. Participate in it. Or participate in yeah. it mm-hmm. is a whole nother issue. Yeah. I think that's basically what life is saying to us. Do you want to participate? Mm-hmm. You're going to do this anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but do you want to participate? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Can I read you something I wrote about that? Yeah, totally. 
trying to figure out where to start. <laughs> What's this from? Or is this something you wrote? Um, this is from the eulogy that I wrote for my dad. Oh, gotcha, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's all about participation. Mm-hmm. On the memorial... Um, ah, wow. That was a lot of ma-ma-ma. On the morning of his memorial service, I struggled to get out of bed. I was reeling from my own thunderstroke, and it felt like getting up and putting my feet on the floor would make me complicit in this reality that I desperately wanted not to be real. But life exists whether you choose to live it. Truth exists whether you choose to believe it. As I laid there, thinking about the speech I had planned to give at his service, I tried to imagine the words coming out of my mouth, and it felt like a physical impossibility. How could these be true words? How could this be a true moment? Speech has the power to create, acknowledge, legitimize. I didn't want to lend my tongue to this horrible thing. I imagined my father, bright, measured, playful, and deeply loving, and I realized that it wasn't my belief that was being asked of me by life, but my participation. We wake up and the day seems to say, I hold suffering, but also joy. I hold sadness, but also love. I hold wounding truth, but also tenderness and forgiveness. Do you want to participate? It seemed to me that my father had always said yes Hmm. to this question. That's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we landed on that. Mm -hmm. It comes back to the idea that everything is relational. Mm -hmm. It isn't about truth or belief exactly. It's about participation. Yeah, participation. It it is revelationary, revelatory as far Mm -hmm. as like when you're in relationship, you know, we were just talking about earlier in the program was the idea of our kids, you know, they sort of reflect back to you things that are great and things that are not so great. And also being married, there's also your things are being reflected back to you. And I think that's something about relationship is it does reflect back to you. And I think that's a lot of that's where, where truth is discovered. Whenever mm-hmm. uh, action is reflected, <laughs> you get to see it for more of its true, yeah. <laughs> true impact, you know, especially around people that you actually love and care for. You know, I think if you don't really love somebody or care for them, then that, then you don't get a lot of things reflected back to you. It's more of a subject, uh, master and subject kind of hmm. relationship or subject to master. Say that again. If you, if you don't love someone, then you don't get much reflection from them. Mm-hmm. Like I was just thinking about, you know, as far as like a, a, a master and his slave, there's no, there's no real relationship right there. You could say the relationship is master and slave, hmm. but it's sort of, neither e- of them are learning <clears throat> about themselves mm-hmm. from the other. Yeah, and it's saying, master's saying, you are slave, you stay in that category, and here's the boundaries with which we are to, to interact with. Mm-hmm. And the slave says, yes, I will I will interact within those boundaries. And only within those. And only within yeah. those, because I know if I step out of those boundaries, then therefore I'm punished. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's, it's a very authoritarian um, relationship. Um, but in a relationship of love, you know, there's boundaries, but they're more of 
from self-protection. Hmm. It's like, I, I'm in this relationship and I want to do this. However, I know there's areas I cannot, I can't go just yet, but I want to. Let's hang on that for a minute because yeah. that's really interesting. In part, by comparing what's wrong with the master-slave relationship mm -hmm. in which there's clear boundaries and if you cross the boundary, there's punishment. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think it's very common. So if we take that as like an obviously pathological relationship mm -hmm. and we just look at the idea of boundaries, well, as a relationship gets more loving and more healthy, mm. is, could you say you have less boundaries? You can play more extensively mm -hmm. because the boundaries are removed. Mm -hmm. And yet it's very popular in current culture in something like dating relationships to say, well, you need to have your boundaries. Mm -hmm. You need to respect my boundaries. You just crossed a boundary. Well, I think that's a really interesting because also, also there's a part of when you're in relationship with somebody and you love them, you do kind of recognize like there is a boundary here and I need to be careful and I need to tread lightly. Because uh, at least in the tone and the way that you presented the other kind of boundary is it's basically like, it's, it's, you're more telling somebody, I don't want you to know me. Like, right. Like, stop. You know, where the other boundary is like, uh, for example, um, you know, I might not want to talk about something. And you were like, Michael, man, you really need to talk about this. And you're like, but hey, I don't, it's, you're probably just, you're not ready for this right now, or this isn't the time. So it, it's more of a loving way that you approach that boundary and sort of like step back, you know? Um, and in other instances, you might push on that boundary, you know, and I might get angry or frustrated with you, but the relational part of love is, I think is, um, is what makes that different as you get sort of like that, you know, uh, juxtaposition of master slave and a relation, loving relationship with fewer boundaries, because mm -hmm. you do see like really loving relationships, the boundaries are very small and low. When you used the word protection a moment ago, mm. I think you can bring down, <clears throat> well, when you say that you have a boundary, what you're saying is I need to protect myself. Mm -hmm. But a loving relationship should be engaged in the growth and strength of another person. Mm -hmm. And if I'm in a loving relationship with you, mm -hmm. as we grow and strengthen each other, mm -hmm. I have less of a need to protect myself. Mm -hmm. In part, because I, I know you and I know that you don't want to injure me. Mm -hmm. And in part, because I'm being strengthened by you and I don't need to fear injury mm -hmm. because I can sustain it. Yeah. And so as a relationship grows, the need for boundaries reduces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that's where you kind of have these accidental, you know, again, just to use the boundaries and, you know, when you're playing, sometimes you accidentally like, you know, hit somebody in the nose, their nose bleeds, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's like, there's that, but right. again, you, you know, the difference between like, Oh, we were just playing 
versus, you know, you wanted to hurt me, you know? <laughs> I just remember the instances when as a kid too, it's like, you know, you get into that spot and it all of a sudden gets really serious for a second. Yeah. You don't, you're almost kind of going at it, but then there's also this part like, wait a minute. My brother. Did we just do that? Like, <laughs> When he was in high school, knocked the two front teeth out of his best friend twice. <laughs> And after the second time, I think his friend's mom wanted to injure my brother. <laughs> She's like these dentist bills. But it's funny because whoa, um, he's still a friend, mm-hmm. you know, Yeah. despite that injury. Is this Mateo or? <laughs> no, Chris. <Okay. laughs> he was at the uh, my dad's memorial. Oh, okay. though. So okay. after all these years, he's uh, still a close friend, mm-hmm. not only of my brother, but of my family. Yeah. That's great. There's also a whole conversation with guys and those kind of relationships. <laughs> yeah. Well, do we feel like we've? I, I thought it was. I thought it was what? good. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm not okay. Sure exactly where we went to, but. Well, I found that quote that I was talking about at the beginning from yeah. Jordan Peterson. So why don't I read this and we can leave it there? Okay. Cool. Life is suffering. Love is the desire to see unnecessary suffering ameliorated. Truth is the handmaiden of love. Dialogue is the pathway to truth. Humility is recognition of personal insufficiency and the willingness to learn. To learn is to die voluntarily and be born again in great ways and small. Speech must be untrammeled so that dialogue can take place, so that we can all humbly learn so that truth can serve love, so that suffering can be ameliorated, so that we can all stumble forward to the kingdom of God. Hmm. I think that's so beautifully said. And really like (laughs) ties up everything we talked about. So Mr. Uh, Peterson, cheers. Thank you for that. Thank you guys. All right. Love you all out there. Thanks for being (laughs) with us. Bye. I still can't figure out what to do with this cord because when I have it on my back, it gets bound.